listen, same vision is for equal rights and justice for the people, them. What's happening to this beautiful world that we're living in? World citizen, lift up your voices. Welcome, welcome to uh, another edition of the People Powered Planet Podcast. Uh, each week, we have exciting guests talking about not all the incredible, overwhelming problems facing us in the world, but solutions. How do we begin to solve these problems? How do we take back our power to, to, to really make a difference and to really turn things around so that uh, the human race can survive on this beautiful little uh, planet of ours? And today we have kind of one of the masters of solutions. The, in fact, he's the head of Citizens for Global Solutions. 1947, Citizens for Global Solutions was born as first called the World Federalist. Let me let Bob tell you a little more about that. But before I do, let me just uh, 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 say a little bit more about the group, and we'll ask Bob how he got involved in all this. Um, but the Citizens for Global Solutions and its predecessors have uh, worked for global solutions in arms control and the law of the seas and preventing discrimination against women protecting the rights of children, you know, and so much more. They helped get the International Criminal Court going. And so we're going to get into a lot of their, their current ex exciting projects they're doing and so crucial for our world today. But first, let me start with welcoming Bob and asking you, Bob, how did you first get involved in this uh, uh, world citizen movement, world federalist movement, and now the Citizens for Global Solutions? Great. Well, thank you, Arthur, for having me. And I also want to congratulate you on setting up this wonderful forum. I mean, as you all know, I mean, the news is filled with bad news, uh, whether it be the pandemic, climate change, et cetera, et cetera. So it's great to have voices out there talking about good news. So I, I you know, hats off to you for, for doing this work. So in, in terms of myself, um, I, I view this global governance work essentially as my third career. Uh, I'm a psychologist by training. Um, and really that, that part of my career, uh, I've worked in the hospitals, clinics, agency settings, private practice, and 16 years in the California prison system. Um, so by far, that, that's the longest stretch of my, my career as a psychologist. Um, but then from working in the prison system and from some international traveling that I did, I was very struck by the kind of suffering uh, that large systems cause. I mean, as you all know, psychologists deal with human suffering, but we do it on an individual level, couples level, or family level generally. Um, but there are these large systems that hurt people. And whether it's a dysfunctional corporation or something like the prison system or two LA street gangs fighting or two nations in conflict, um, we, there are these systems out there that hurt people. Uh, and often we're embedded in many of them at the same time. So I got very kind of struck um, by that fact. And by looking at large systems, I went back to school and did another master's degree on top of my psychologist degree in organization development, uh, did some courses in conflict resolution, international policy planning, and things like that. And I ended up doing organizational consulting. Um, and I thought that was going to be my career. Um, but then uh, that actually turned out to be very short-lived. Um, because I found out from two other, you know, friends and acquaintances about this world federalist thing. Um, so from that, I went down, I connected one of the, with one of the local organizations uh, to me, the Democratic World Federalists located in San Francisco. And that uh, launched me on my connection to World Federation. 
it just seems so obvious. And, and for me, the kind of arc of my career all had to deal with human suffering. You know, how do you um, both alleviate human suffering and enhance human experience? And as I look back, I was just engaged with that on larger and larger levels. Uh, so for me, it's all the same thing. Uh, dealing with human suffering, enhancing human experience, and now yeah. my interest is doing that on the global level. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's very fascinating. And I, I think that's really key. I was really struck when you said that systems cause pain and suffering. Now, these are the very systems that we human beings have invented. We invented them to serve us, and somehow we've ended up creating monsters that are actually hurting us, that actually could even threaten our existence on this planet. And so uh, 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 my key question is, how did you then realize and how did you then begin to see that the key to that system change lay in rising above the nation state system? Well, I, I have to say um, that just seeing that idea was intuitively obvious. I mean, it wasn't something, um, you know, I just described kind of how my career evolved. Uh, but the moment that I saw um, that there's a way to handle global problems with global solutions, pardon the phrase, um, it, just, it just fit. I mean, the, you know, if, if you, you have to have a solution commensurate to the problem. And if the problem, you know, um, you know is of this level, solutions down here just aren't going to cut it. You know, they may take chunks of it, they may whatever. I, I think of, um, of Gregory Bateson, um, who's a, an intellectual hero of mine, was a brilliant anthropologist. And he talked about that often when we come up with solutions, we look at what he called the partial arc. So example he gives is the, the bugs, the insects are destroying a farmer's field. So what do you do? You come up, you invent DDT and you kill the bugs, you know? But then the DDT gets in the water, it kills the fish, the birds eat the fish, it kills the birds. The, um, you know, the, the, the other animals eat, eat the birds, they, they die, et cetera, et cetera. And over time, what looked like a solution on a small scale becomes a nightmare on the larger scale. And, and unfortunately, too many of our solutions are that way. The solution mm -hmm. becomes the next problem. Mm -hmm. So you have to have solutions commensurate with the level of the problems you're dealing with. I think that's really key. I, I'm very intrigued by uh, what you said, because it seems like there is a connection between all these fields and that in each field, the first solution that jumps to people's mind when there's a problem is, you know, let's just kill the problem. Let's just kill it. Uh, we've got uh, uh, bad bugs in our field. Let's kill them with herbicides. And as you mentioned, then all these other things go wrong. Or, you know, we've got bad bugs in our body. You know, let's just throw in antibiotics. And now we see all the problems with antibiotics having mm. gotten out of control, whatever it is. Or we see bad, bad, bad things happening in the world. We're scared. Let's just kill that bad guy. And instead, we create more and more enemies. And it seems like in each area, Aren't we discovering that it's, it's really whole system healing uh, that, uh, that, that we need for regenerative agriculture, for healing our bodies, and for healing our planet? Well, I, I think that's becoming clear, that, that all of these systems are intertwined. Um, you can't just work on one without the ripple effects going through the, all the others. Um, so yeah, so I think that's becoming clearer to 
you know, you name it, the scientists to lay people, et cetera, et cetera. Let's go into, because we, we really haven't laid it out, what, what are the solutions? What are the global solutions that Citizens for Global Solutions are looking, looking at right now? Sure, sure. Well, well basically, you, you, I mean, I, I imagine most everybody um, on this webcast uh, has heard the, uh, the, the story, whatever, or the, the metaphor, that it's better to teach someone to fish than to give them a fish. If you give them a fish, they eat for a day, teach someone to fish, they can eat for a lifetime. And I think of it very much that way. If we come up with a single solution, let's say to the climate, you know, the climate problem or to pandemics or to whatever, you've got that single solution, period, but it ends there. So what we're trying to do, what the World Federalist Movement is trying to do is to create a structure that will generate solutions ongoingly. So it's like teaching someone how to fish rather than giving them a single solution. And the movement as a whole, the way I think about it, has two short-term goals and one long-term goal. So the two short-term goals are one is to create global institutions that handle global problems better than we're doing currently. And the one we're most known for, our greatest accomplishment, is the creation of the International Criminal Court. Uh, I could talk more about that after if you want. So we're right now looking at the possibility of an international court for the environment and human rights and other kinds of global structures to handle the problems better than we're doing currently. The other short-term goal is to create and support international law. So we've been involved, our, our organization has been involved in arms limitation, uh, you know, treaties, as, as well as other things. And we're supporting some that have been adopted by most of the world, but not the United States. Uh, so for example, you mentioned one or two before, that there's a convention for the elimination of all forms of discrimination against women. Much of the world is approved of that, we have not. Okay? There is a convention for the rights of the child. Almost the entire world has approved of that. We have not ratified it. Um, the Paris Climate Agreement, we've pulled out of it, and which has led to chaos and you know, probably prolonging our, our, our climate problem, uh, perhaps beyond the point of return. So we're on the short run, we're looking to both create and support international global institutions and international law. In the long term, our goal is to create a world federation, a united federation of nations, so that together we can work, or a global parliament as it's known by some, so together the people of the world have a problem solving mechanism that's up to handling the global problems that our current structure is just not able to get traction on. Hmm. Well, so it, it uh, how could it be that uh, a country like the United States, which actually was the one of the key inspirations for getting the UN and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and things like that happening in the world, and yet could be so, uh, so much torpedoing efforts at global solutions. Yeah, well, certainly if you look at all of the, the major powers of the world, um, the, the, and many of them were the victors of World War II and occupy the permanent five of the Security Council, you know, no one wants to give up power. No one wants to share power. Uh, no one wants to share decision-making. So that's 
you know, a, a natural human instinct. I mean, one, one could argue. <laughs> so, um, so that's behind a lot of the stuff we've seen. In fact, the way that the International Criminal Court was created was by getting uh, a coalition of small and mid-sized nations to get it started, uh, but 120 to 122 of them to bring it into existence. So the larger nations may be early, you know, late adopters to some of these solutions because they don't want to share, uh, share power in that way. Well, so um, if, 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 um, if these things have been passed by most of the nations of the world, uh, including, for instance, the Kellogg-Briand Pact outlawing war, including mm -hmm. uh, bans on uh, nuclear weapons, any, any form of warfare that's, that's violations of, of, uh, of, the, of the, these fundamental laws of war, um, are the actual laws that are on the books, you know, pretty good and the problem of figuring out how to get, how to enforce them? Well, I, I'm sure that's part of it, but, but the books that we're talking about are the international books, <laughs> you know, not, not the books in any nation. Um, so we're, so there are things that again are, are on the books internationally um, that may need greater reinforcement, but there are also things that are agreed upon by some nations that just the more powerful nations need to support as well. Okay, so uh, one of the key things that Gary Davis talked about and one of those key clicks that he made in his mind was, you know, he said, uh, uh, why are we, you know, feeling like we have to beg and plead government leaders to, 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 to do this when, they're, when they can't do it, they're at the wrong civic level. Their loyalty is to the part, not the whole. And it's we mm -hmm. the people who have to kind of, uh, who, are, who are kind of stuck in these nation state boxes and, uh, and also, you know, so often uh, kind of brainwashed and deluged into thinking in that nationalistic thinking way mm -hmm. that we're actually torpedoing our own self-interest, in fact, our own survival. Um, is there a way that we can begin to create and invent uh, interactive ways that people can be, and you see this even happening in the web, where people can be more directly involved in interactively creating some solutions where we can establish a regime of, of, of law rather than war as a way of solving problems in the world. Well, I mean, there's been numerous proposals for that. Uh, some have been in the world federalist movement and historically have been argued and all, and some are kind of newer using more high tech and the internet and all that stuff. The, the basic um, kind of historically the, the basic, um, or I should say, the, 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 the idea that's gotten the most traction within the World Federalist Movement is to transform the UN. That most of the people who have been involved in this say that we have to, you know, amend the UN Charter to create a, you know, to, to turn the Charter into a constitution and have the UN be a democratic body so that when you and I go to vote, we not only vote for our, our mayor, our governor, our president, but we also vote for representatives to the world parliament. And at that level, there's a world constitution, a bill of rights, and, and a judicial system, and all the things, the tools that individual nations have, but the world doesn't have to solve its problems. So most of the people who have been involved in this stuff 
are, are pushing in that direction. But there are others who say, you know, the UN has done good, it's done a lot of good, but it's so hopelessly broken that we need to go outside of the UN and to, to solve our problems and to create these structures. And, they, and those people fall into two or three different camps. There's some that feel you have to create a world constitution and then go shop it around to the different nations to sign on. There are those that feel that this is a two-step process, that you have to have regional federations first, uh, like the South American Union that's forming, the Arab Union, the, uh, the African Union, and then you can connect those together. I mean, there are a number of different strategies. And more recently, using, you know, using the power of the internet, there are those who feel that you could connect that way and, and essentially have a movement grow out of those international connections. So there, there are, are a number of different paths to getting there. Um, they're within the movement, they're debated, there are books written about them. Um, so, so unfortunately, you know, your, your questions, which are very right on, uh, sometimes have complex answers. So that's, well, that's I, I uh, one of them. We're seeing right now in the world, you mentioned, you know, giving, uh, creating a similar structure to what the U.S. has where, you know, we have one person, one vote at a world level. But, um, you know, I, I think we got to start maybe asking questions about that fundamental system that was such a great step forward in 1776, but is breaking, is perhaps breaking down now. And that is, uh, I think even our founders realized that if you just ask people who wants to vote this way or that way, you'd get mob rule and you'd get a lot of ridiculous things. And they thought there needed to be a deliberative process where people interacted in a deliberative way and came to better conclusions than what they started with. And now we're seeing uh, Gary advocating synergy where it's not even just getting together and compromising, it's getting together and inventing something better than anyone came into the room with. Uh, and uh, does it seem to you like, like the, you, what we're seeing in the world today, the tragic direction, uh, the really frightening direction of plunging us toward separation, division, and, and possible extinction, or likely extinction, uh, shows maybe the limits of, of what was once a step forward and the need to create new interactive tools that rather than have win-lose democracy, one side beats the other, actually evolve ways where we interactively come together, deliberate, find out what is it we each really want in our lives? What are our real goals and what are the common ground and come together in a synergy rather than a uh, uh, yay, be our side beats your side and the same old philosophy we talked about, you know, get the bad guys, destroy the bad guys, beat the bad guys. And instead, how do we interactively uh, create whole system healing with each person that there are no bad guys, that it's all us and we've got to move forward. Do you think uh, there's a way to move in that direction in global solutions? Oh, sure. Well, let me first clarify one thing. I, I didn't use the phrase one person, one vote. Uh, there are a number of different models out there. Some of them are advocating one person, one vote on the global level. Others are talking about weighted voting, uh, different, uh, other ways of going at it. So uh, I'm, I'm not, you know, I, di I didn't use that phrase one person, one vote. Everyone gets to vote, but how those votes are tabulated is a different story. So as far as, as, far as the issue that, that you raise, I mean, that is, uh, I agree, first of all, and that's one of, one of the great challenges. Um, having been involved in a number of consensus-based communities and, uh, and organizations, that it's relatively known 
that having those conversations and coming to consensus tends to break down the larger the group gets. Uh, the Occupy movement had that problem. Uh, they, you know, everyone showed up and, and very often their meetings, which they tried to have in an orderly way, turned to chaos. So our big challenge right now is to come up with ways, and there are some noble experiments, holacracy, sociocracy, there are a number of methods that, that have been proposed for how to have those deliberative conversations on a state level, national level, and global level. So I hope that, um, you know, that, 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 that those develop. My, my own personal uh, opinion is that I, I'm seeing in the near, near future a hybrid uh, between an actual world parliament uh, and a lot of deliberative structures that give input uh, to their representatives. So I, I'm thinking, um, you know, my own personal thinking, this is not an organizational uh, position that we've taken, but my own personal thinking is some type of hybrid with a lot of input uh, through these structures that get brought to a world parliament. I like your idea of a hybrid, but before we get into that, tell us more about some of these uh, uh, these specific things you've, you've just briefly laid out. There is a, I believe he's a Swedish or Swiss engineer um, who wanted to run his rather large company in a consensus format. So he came up with a way to have small groups uh, come to consensus on different, uh, you know, different questions and aspects. And those decisions get fed up to other groups and get fed up, you know, brought up to other groups until finally he's come up with a way that an entire large industry um, can, um, can come to a consensus decision. Uh, mm -hmm. That model has been tried in a few towns and cities around the world. Uh, so that is one example. Anyone could Google it, th those two. Uh, right. One's a derivative that's, of the other. But that's, that, that's pretty, the kind that's of pretty, thing I'm referring to. Yeah, now that's pretty exciting. Uh, I, I like that idea, and I'm wondering uh, if isn't that a little bit of what we're seeing now as all around the world people are learning to have these little Zoom conferences, uh, you know, can, can we imagine a world where people are, where, where we put some structure into those, where we have some tools for interactively coming together to consensus and, and actually even to synergy in these small groups and have these small group interactions somehow interact with larger and larger levels to begin to create a deliberative, yeah. uh, deliberative conclusions for how to build and, and create a better world with, with, with a base of a large mass of people for the power to implement. Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly that, that, that is the vision. Uh, let me point out one of the challenges, aside from the technological challenge, is you know, when the UN was formed, um, there was the idea um, of somehow getting you know, the, the public involved and the way they did that was through NGOs, by giving um, these nonprofits around the world status so they could interact with the UN. The problem then, or the criticism to that, is that these actually are not representative, they're special interest groups. And, uh, and there's a big battle uh, within you know, those thinking about the UN, are these actually helpful, all these NGOs, or are they just special interest groups? So, in order, so to build a structure that's truly representative rather than taken over by special interest groups, that's a big challenge. Um, and we, we have to come up with a way to do that better. 
um, than the way we the way we're doing it now. Mm -hmm. uh, so now let's move a little bit toward you mentioned a little bit of what you're as you look at some of these different programs and you've certainly studied more about the various uh, uh, solutions as a uh, as an academic. In fact, before you get into your idea of the solution, tell us a little bit more about what you've been doing with with students and with teaching people about this and how you've evolved your idea of, of what are some solutions that could work. Okay, so, um, so let me give you uh, two answers or a two-part answer, one big picture and then come down to specifics. Um, so big picture, we've adopted, we Citizens for Global Solutions has adopted a three-part strategy uh, for getting to uh, our final goal. The first part is public education. Um, that we had been working on building chapters and doing programs. And lo and behold, we discovered the obvious, that it's very hard to build a chapter if nobody knows about you. So the first step is public education. And for that, we have embarked on a program of, of mass communication uh, through revising our website, which we're working on now, through social media, letters to the editor, we're going to be starting our own webcast um, sometime next year. So there's a whole array of things we're looking at doing for step one, massive public education. Once the public is educated, step two is then political action. How do we then get the politicians involved in, in, you know, in, in getting the, the people in power, uh, supporting the people who will actually make the moves we're hoping to, and once the, 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 the political part is involved, then it's getting the, the UN transformed. That's the third part. Sending the, having the right politicians send the right ambassadors to the UN to start the process of charter review. So that's big picture, our three-part strategy. Then to get to the specifics of your question, part of public education is reaching out to the youth. And, and for that, we have two programs right now. One is our World Citizens Clubs, where we're establishing clubs at, on campuses where students can come and get, both get engaged in world affairs, as well as, as learn about our ideas of how to do global transformation. Our very first World Citizens Club was in St. Louis at a college there. And lo and behold, we've got two board members that uh, came out of that, of, of that school and that club. So that's turning out to be a success. The other, the other big program we have is called the Model UN Plus, where instead of just having Model UNs, where students come and have an experience of the UN, we actually um, orchestrate something where there are UN reforms built in uh, that are aligned with our, um, our principles, and then students can come and actually see for themselves um, how you can actually solve problems better with an altered structure. So those are, those are two of our youth problems. We're also actually reaching out to peace and justice studies programs. There are about 400 of them in the United States and Canada, and we've joined the Peace and Justice Studies Association. So we're putting together modules and doing talks at those locations, uh, starting with a big conference we went to last year uh, and presented there. So those are some of the, you know, that's our, our, again, our big picture, public education, political action, and then UN transformation, and some of the specific programs we have that are geared toward the youth. Mm -hmm. Now, um, as, you, uh, as you reach out and uh, 
reach out to all the global study, you know, the peace, peace and justice studies programs and so on. Uh, do you see a role for, I, I know you're, you're working closely with uh, uh, the uh, World Service Authority. You actually mm -hmm. share a building there in Washington. Are there ways you see our film, The World is My Country, and the work of the World Service Authority uh, integrating with some of the, uh, and, and reaching out to and being available as a resource to these peace, uh, and, these peace and justice students around the world, the country and the world? Oh, oh absolutely. Let, let me um, take a step back and just let you know how I think about this. That as I, I imagine a number of the people who are on this webcast know, that the World Federalist Movement and the World Citizens Movement essentially got born at about the same time for the same reason uh, and took different but parallel directions. I view them kind of as like, you know, the, the double helix of, of, of a DNA strand, that they're actually wrapped around each other, that you can't have a um, global citizens without a structure to be citizens in, and you can't have the structure of a global governance structure without world citizens. I mean, it, it's a no-brainer. They're, they're two sides of the same coin. So we, we are looking, and, and you know, as you know, David Gallup, who is the president and general counsel of the World Service Authority, is on the board now of Citizens for Global Solutions, and our offices are right next door to each other in Washington, D.C. So we're looking more and more at how we could co-sponsor projects and bring together those, those two notions of what it is to be a world citizen and having the global structure that those citizens could fit into. Um, and also, as, as you know, we've been using your film, um, you know, The World is My Country, um, at different presentations that we do. Um, right now, I have it out on loan to a colleague who's looking at it. So, so very much, uh, you know, I, I view those as hand in glove uh, kind of organizations. Um, but now, you know, you mentioned at the beginning that sometimes we create these institutions and they cause harm. And I think so many people fear world government because maybe it's not that integrated related one. It's the one that's all institution and yeah. no people and it becomes the oppressor over us. Uh, what do you say to the people who are fearful of world government and how does this interaction and intertwining of citizens with how we build this future uh, a, a solution? Yeah, no, great, great question. Um, actually, I have a Google alert set up um, for some terms like world government, world parliament, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm regularly getting newspaper articles from around the world uh, where people qu quote those. And there was one that came across just last night uh, from a newspaper in Arizona called the White Mountain Independent. And there's a very short letter to the editor uh, that one of the, uh, one of the you know, readers of that newspaper wrote. And I'd like to read it to you because it's got all the fears right here in this letter. So the, the title of it is called Stand Up America. And this is what this person says. Uh, he says, how many of us citizens are willing to give up our independence as a United States of America? How many of us want the United Nations to be our ultimate governing agency without elected representatives? How many of us are willing to give up our rights to own guns and lose the capabilities of our armed forces to the United Nations control? How many of us are willing to be taxed 
with a global tax that is being established as an extra layer of government, especially the United Nations. How many of us would want a one world government where the USA has only one vote? Get involved, America, before it's too late. Don't bury your heads in the sand. If we allow corruption in government, we also will be corruptible and lose our God-given rights. So that's what that person uh, wrote. And so let me say these are real fears uh, that are out there. Unfortunately, each and every one of them is built on a misconception of, of, what, we're, <laughs> of what we stand for. In fact, we view what we stand for as the antidote to all of these problems. You know, right now, whether you um, are, you know, depending on your, your philosophy, uh, someone think the multinational corporations are running the world. You know, others think that it's, you know, other things gone amok. What we're looking at doing is bringing democracy to the global level. Most of the decisions that, that ultimately run our lives are made by folks who are not elected, unaccountable, um, decisions made in the dark. As we know, there's greater and greater income inequality in the world. It seems like the 1% and now the one-tenth of 1% are getting wealthier and controlling more of the world where the rest of us just take what's left, et cetera, et cetera. So essentially what we're looking to do, and a, 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 a way I, I like to explain it, is once upon a time, you know, the um, governments were here and, and, um, and corporations were here. So if a corporation wanted to get established, it would knock on the door of the government, it would get a charter, and as long as it was a good actor, it would perform. And if not, they would pull the plug on it and it would die, the, what they call the corporate death penalty. But now the corporations are here, so, um, and, and bigger than many governments. So they can pollute in this country, they can get childhood soldiers in that country, they can bribe a government in that country, and do what they want to do, basically. Okay? So there are only two ways out of that. One is to put the, you know, put the genie back in the bottle, which probably isn't going to happen, or get we the people and put us here and, and reestablish the order where we the people are in charge. So that's what we're advocating for. And all of the specific things about global tyranny or um, you know, how do you pull together nations where there's such a cultural difference. I mean, I could answer all of those individually. That'll probably be longer than your podcast. Uh, but these things have all been thought through by, um, by some of the finest minds of our time, starting with Albert Einstein, uh, who was on our, our advisory board back in the day. Um, so let me oh, leave, about leave Albert Einstein, because many people consider him the smartest man uh, alive or, or, or smartest man in history. Yeah, he was the Time Magazine person of the, of the century. Uh, tell us more about, uh, about him. Yeah, well, I mean, Einstein was many people, uh, was one of the many people who at that time was, was basically pleading with, with any world leaders uh, that would, would be willing to listen. And, and saying that the way the UN was being set up will ultimately fail. As I'm, I'm sure most of your listeners know, the opening line of the UN Charter is to end the scourge of war. We've had somewhere about 250 wars since. So again, the UN has done a, a lot of good, but it's fallen short of its vision, which Einstein and others predicted. So 
he was very active. If you get a, co a copy of the very thick book, Einstein on Peace, the entire final third of the book was his efforts writing to presidents, other world leaders, to try to talk to them about having to organize the world so there was some global governance structure rather than the way the UN was being formed. And as I said, he, um, he was on our advisory board back at that time. Right, and he of course uh, uh, said numerous wonderful things about Gary oh. Davis uh, repeatedly, including uh, uh, you know, saluting him for the sacrifices he made for the well-being of humanity and saying he grasped the key to whether we'll actually, uh, uh, you know, human, humans will destroy themselves by their own hand or continue to exist. So uh, uh, he was a, a, a certainly a, a key proponent of people who want to be, want to think about better solutions. Well, before we go yeah. to questions, which I want to yeah. shortly. Let, let me just say, absolutely, if anybody gets that book, Einstein on Peace, Gary Davis is in it. Uh, Einstein specifically talks about him and, and writes about him in his letters. So that's absolutely correct. Right, good. Um, let, you mentioned a hybrid solution is where your own thinking is going on this. Uh, let's go to your hybrid solution and then let's open it up to questions if anybody wants to put them in the chat box or raise their hand uh, by going to clicking on participants and clicking raise hands. Uh, we'll get you in the queue to ask questions. But meanwhile, go ahead with your uh, uh, your hybrid solution that comes to your own thinking after this lifetime of, of working on this issue and bringing together psychology with how do we actually fix the systemic problems in the world? Well, um, as I said, first of all, the, the disclaimer is this is my personal thinking, not my organization's position. Um, but I do think if, if you look right now at what's happening in our country, um, you know, there, there's an overwhelming number of people that um, advocate for some kind of gun control, you know, but the leaders don't do that. Um, and if you go down the line, there, there are overwhelming numbers of people that want a certain thing, but leaders don't do that. So there's a real disconnect there between the populace and our government, okay? We need to make sure with whatever global structure we do that that does not happen, that we don't have a ruling elite on the global level, because it's going to be hard to get to Mars and escape that. So what we need to, to do is have some type of structure, much like what you're saying, um, where there is real deliberation going on, but real input uh, to the global parliament. So there is not that disconnect. The actual structure of it, you know, there, there are a number of people working on and, and thinking about that. I don't have the answer to that but I know that's the direction we need to move in so that there's true representation and the um, and actual input from the people is included in that. That's what I think of when I think of a hybrid structure, that we don't replicate the kind of situation we have in this country right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now we also see a situation where the UN itself has called for on the 75th anniversary, a worldwide global conversation on the future we want and the UN we need. And I know your organization has been a key part of, of giving input, of, of being part of that uh, citizen base around the world, giving input about the future we want. Yes, there, there, uh, there have been a coalition of, of hundreds of NGOs around the world that have drafted a declaration uh, to bring to the UN on its 75th anniversary of, of our vision, what, what we would like to see. And yes, we were very much a part of that. 
And uh, when will that be presented? Um, I believe um, there, there is a ceremony coming up. I believe it's this month. I don't recall the exact date, uh, but it's being presented like very soon. So how do people get on your Citizens for Global Solutions newsletter and get notified about that and other crucial events coming up? Well, um, globalsolutions.org um, is our website. So you can just go to globalsolutions.org. And I believe on virtually every page, you can click and get our monthly newsletter if you're interested in doing that. Yeah, Perfect. we also have a journal that comes out twice a year, which is on the website. And you could also, there's a procedure to get a hard copy of that as well. All right, well, thank you. Now let me turn it over to uh, ask Melanie, uh, who's monitoring questions and chats. Uh, do we have some uh, questions or comments from people? Hello, everyone. Yes, Bob, thank you so much. I mean, I, this discussion back and forth has been so interesting. Yes, applause, everyone. And we thank do you. have we do have uh, some audience member questions for you. Fabulous. Our first one would be from Jerry Tettleman. And Jerry, if you could go right ahead. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Melanie. Yeah, hey, uh, Bob. Uh, Arthur, great, great presentation. I, I really, uh, I like the overview that you gave, Bob. Uh, the question I have for you is more the focus of democracy. Uh, it seems like we have, we're in a, a phase right now in the world where democracy is under siege in, in this country and around the world by totalitarian governments. And we seem to be moving backwards a little bit. Uh, I want to get your take on that and how Citizens Global Solutions presents democracy. The other thing, I think that really is what you're talking about. You know, we're all part of this broad peace and justice global uh, movement. But one path that I see uh, that I'd like to get your your take on is uh, a model more uh, in tune with what the European Union did, mm -hmm. meaning they formed a, a union of nations, could be a global union, not of all nations, but of democracies, uh, you know, a union of the democracies to start building uh, outside of the UN or in coordination with it. I think one of the great challenges we have is that the UN is uh, kind of like the United States government. We have a constitution, it's very hard to reform. The UN, very hard to reform that charter, but the European Union did something without that restraint. Uh, I want to get your take on democracy in the world today and then looking at the pathway of a global union of democracies. Uh, thanks. But Jer Jerry is the author of one of the better introductory books on World Federation called one or co-author, I should say, called One World Democracy. So if you're looking for a good introductory book, um, there are two or three of them that I, I really like. And that's one of them. So it's called One World Democracy, uh, Jerry Tiedelman and Byron Belitzos. So to get to your question, um, and I'll kind of go backwards your, your last question first. Um, is what about a union of democracies? So I, I, I have um, an image that we, um, we're gonna uh, update and put on our website. I don't know how well you can see it because I'll just hold it up. Um, but the, these are the, um, our a rendition of the four main paths that the World Federalist Movement has used to describe the way to get to a World Federation. Let me see if I could zoom in on the, on the names of the paths. So essentially what they are is uh, starting on, on this side, the one that I mentioned that most people fall into, which is transforming the UN, okay? 
but there are at least three others. So I'm going to take it down for a minute and I'll explain what they are because Jerry touched on them. So one of them is to uh, what we call integrate the regions. This is what I alluded to before. So having regional federations first, the African Union, the Pan-American Union, uh, a, a union of the, um, of the North American countries, the EU, of course, which is the most advanced down that road. So, so some world federalists say, forget about all this world stuff, first integrate the different regions, and then all you have to do is connect the dots and you'll have the world federation. So that's one route, uh, or that's a second route in addition to, to the UN. The, the third route on that chart is what Jerry suggested, uh, that some people say, you look, it, it may take time for these, you know, dictatorships and others to, to see the value of this, but don't worry about it. Just integrate the democracies first, bring those together. Uh, and that's a proposal that's been out there for some years. Books have been written by it and create a federation of democratic nations. And then as the other nations see, wow, how come they get all the goodies and we don't? You know, they have a better standard of living. They have this, they have that. Then they get, you know, we got to like overthrow our dictator and join. So that's very much the way things like NATO, the EU, the OAEC, I mean, different organizations naturally grow. They don't start all at once. They start and then more, you know, join. And the last, um, the last path on that, um, which I mentioned before, is there's a group called the World Constitution and Parliament Association, WCPA, they have their own website, and they have over several decades created a world constitution. Most people don't know this, but there are about 200 constitutions that have been written for the planet Earth. Um, this one that they worked on with international attorneys, legal scholars, and other people over years is probably the most advanced, if not one of the most advanced. So what they're doing now is they're going to different countries, knocking on their door and shopping it around. So those are the, those are the panoply of kind of historical roots that the, um, that the World Federalist Movement has debated and argued, which is the best way to get there. And now as Arthur was suggesting, there are new ideas about we could do this using the internet and other ways to connect. So Jerry, that's your, um, that's that question. You had one prior to that, but I, I, I'm feeling compelled to let other people into the queue uh, and ask their questions as well. So is that okay with you? And we'll, we'll, dub, we'll double back if, if need be. Thank I mean, you. if we have the time. Yes, so we, do have a couple more, we do have a couple more questions. So great idea, great. we can circle back if we have time. So Jean Stevens, you're next, please, with your question. Thank you so much for the opportunity to, uh, to listen to this great discussion. And uh, my, my question is, uh, there's so much rolling around in my mind, you've brought up so many really important points, but uh, somehow or another to be able to, to go against what's going on with the monetary situation and the power structure. And I know Arthur is a huge fan of trying to do a we are the world for 
uh, you know, musicians and artists and people to engage the youth. I recently heard a, a lecture out of Sonoma State, maybe it was Pacifica Radio with Ralph Nader and what uh -huh. you're doing in the college campuses. So somehow or another, a way of galvanizing and educating because I gave a PowerPoint discussion over the weekend. It was part of the 24 hours of reality. And the topic uh -huh. was um, uh, militarism and the environment. And I live near Los Alamos. And, uh -huh. and a, a highly educated a UNM instructor at the end said, wow, I had no idea. So the vast majority of Americans are asleep at the switch. And we've got to galvanize. Uh, and if you have any thoughts on that, thank you. Yeah, well, I, I mean, that just starts with reaching out. Um, we, within the World Federalist Movement, I, I will say we've been rather insular, unfortunately, uh, but now we, um, we have a, a whole committee and, and its main or, or one of its main, uh, you know, uh, purposes is to look at other organizations to connect with and align with. Uh, we are right now, we, we, I'm, we are in the process right now of, um, I think, oh geez, it's, it, uh, yes, yeah, dialoguing with the Alliance for Peace. Uh, which is a collection of peace organizations, um, you know, all the big names, the American Friends Service Association, you know, all the big peace associations. So we're looking at joining other alliances rather than even going one by one um, to let them know that we exist. And lo and behold, when I submitted our application, um, you know, the person who wrote back said, we never heard of you. You know, why not? I mean, you know, I, I explained the work we've been doing, et cetera, et cetera. So we need to get out there. We've been very much preaching to the choir and we need to get beyond that. So that's what we're doing. I love it. That's perfect. And yes, more and more people need to know. Um, all right, so we have a question from Richard Denton. Richard, if you can go ahead. I've been with our Canadian now World Federalist Organization for about 40 years. And uh, in Canada, there's also the UN uh, Association, which looks at uh, reforming the UN. Um, and whereas I think the World Federalists uh, are looking at, uh, you know, completely changing it because it is dysfunctional uh, with the uh, permanent five uh, uh, controlling everything and the General Assembly making recommendations, but unfortunately they often don't go anywhere uh, with the resolutions that are passed. And so again, I was interested in your four uh, streams that you just mentioned and how to create uh, democracy. I think from uh, what we're seeing is uh, the downfall of the Western world of the US in particular, uh, uh, the decline and fall. Uh, and I think also of uh, some of these institutions like NATO um, which, uh, you know, may have served a useful purpose back in the day, but uh, are certainly out of date now and don't use, serve a useful purpose. And I see that, you know, various countries such as Spain maybe uh, will uh, again uh, approve the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. And I see that what we're we're having the NGOs like uh, ICANN uh, foster uh, the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. So the NGOs, civil society is playing a much more active role. And what I'm hearing from uh, 
Antonio Guterres is uh, uh, requesting civil societies to play a more active role. And so maybe again, you could just sort of comment on that. There's a lot in what you said. We can probably do a whole seminar uh, off of the different parts of what you said. But let me, um, let me first make a, a, a very broad kind of big picture comment that, that came to mind as you were talking. As we look at the, you know, as you said, kind of the breakdown of, of Western civilization, um, I, I've seen that interpreted in two general ways. Um, and I, that's what I'd like to share. That first, you know, there are folks who go, oh my God, this is becoming the new normal. You know, there's rise of populism, authoritarianism, nationalism, isolationism, and all that, you know, oh my God, we're returning to the dark ages but now we have nuclear weapons <laughs> that they didn't have back then. Uh, so it's a lot more dangerous. So that's kind of one interpretation. And that, you know, I mean, I don't have my crystal ball is not any better than yours. It, it could be the way we go. The other interpretation is we're seeing a paradigm sh shift. You know, we're seeing the breakdown of patriarchy, empire, and all of that stuff. And all of what we're seeing now are symptoms of that that this is what happens when at the end of empire, uh, that some of them uh, did it rather gracefully. I mean, the British empire, uh, they weren't great, they weren't perfect, uh, but they're still a world power. Um, they, they made it through. Uh, there are other empires that dissolved and fell that went out of existence, okay? So, but, but there are those that feel that, that you know, the, new, the quote new age that we were expecting in the 60s is actually gonna come out of this in the, in the 2000s. So th those are kind of two interpretations of what we're seeing. I don't pretend to have any specialized knowledge in which way we're gonna go, but I do think the, those that push on the, 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 the positive one will increase the likelihood that the positive one is going to happen. So that's, where I'm, that's the basket I'm putting my eggs. <coughs> feel that it's important uh, for all those that, that are interested <laughs> to, to push, to, to have the future scenario turn out in that positive direction. So that's my kind of overall um, response to what you were saying. Then there are a number of, of parts to it. I'm looking at the time though, we're, we're coming down the home stretch. Um, yes, we do have one more question before we close. Yeah, just just fo follow that up there, Melanie. Uh, uh, Michael Caruso and I and uh, Arthur, et cetera, are all Rotarians. Yes. And uh, Rotary Worldwide Organization, uh, it's growing uh, in Africa, growing in uh, Southeast Asia, but declining in uh, Canada, North America and uh, Britain uh, and a few other places. Um, it is looking at changing its structure. And one of the things that John Hugo uh, just yesterday was mentioning was regionalization. And you mentioned that as one of the, your prongs there. Can you just sort of, uh, maybe elaborate on the regionalization as it might refer to possibly Rotary? Okay. Well, let me say when I, when I was up in Winnipeg last year, uh, speaking at the annual convention of the Peace and Justice Studies Association, we had a wonderful group of Rotarians uh, in the audience that, that I went out to dinner with afterward. I, I really, at that time, had little idea of how active 
Rotary was in these issues and in peace building. Uh, so we actually are now in dialogue uh, with several Rotary. There's a peace uh, e-group and there are other groups. So we're looking, and of course I know authors are Rotarian as well. So we're looking at how to connect with Rotary in a more powerful way. In terms of, con of, of consulting <laughs> and, and mentioning how Rotary might regionalize, um, that, I mean, I, 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 I would need, you know, I, I do organizational consulting. I would need to look at the structure of Rotary and study it and come up with recommendations, see the culture. That's not something I can give an off the cuff um, answer to. But what I could say, again, tying it back to World Federation, is there are people who really feel that if you, you know, if we as a movement stopped obsessing on a world parliament, I mean, this is one of the positions, and instead look at what's already happening, that, that regions are integrating, you know, and look at how to do that and how to support that that if we can move you know, our, our eye off the final goal to something more interim, that we would actually serve ourselves better. So that's one school of thought in the, in the movement. I will say that what Citizens for Global Solutions is trying to do is to be a big tent, to include all of these different schools of thought, because I find that the interaction between them is, even though there, there might be controversy and at times even arguments, um, that it, it's helpful for the movement as a whole. I would rather have the hundreds of thousands of people around the world debating which is the best way to get to a world federation than most of the world not even knowing about it. So, um, so I, I'm, I'm very interested in getting the populace into this debate um, because I believe that there's going to be synergies and connections that we don't yet see. I think there's I one other question. You would be a great debate moderator for that. You are just, you've got it. Um, Michael is our last, and then after Michael, we'll go directly to Arthur. Here we go. Michael. Okay. Uh, thank you, Bob. It's an um, amazing presentation, and it's always nice to see options, especially in this day and age, about uh, getting a world federation of some sort. Are you familiar at all with Every Woman Treaty? I've heard the name, but I couldn't speak on it with any in intelligence. <laughs> Well, it's an organization yeah. that they're put, uh, putting together um, to get this treaty for women's rights around the world. And they mm -hmm. want to put it before, before the United Nations. Mm -hmm. And there is a, a Rotary Peace Fellow. There's over 1,400 Peace Fellows. They have mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, degrees in um, peace and conflict resolution. Working yeah. with them is not Rotary-initiated program. But the, the goal is to... Um, have a treaty put before the United Nations, uh, and it's formulated on how the Landmines Treaty came about. Okay. Have the person that wrote the Landmines Treaty on their staff. Oh, terrific. The goal is to have a budget of $4 billion a year. That's a mm -hmm. billion dollar, a dollar for every woman on the planet. Mm. And um, so they're working, they understand that the U.S. basically doesn't sign humanitarian treaties. They didn't sign the landmine treaty, but landmine production in the U.S. has gone down to nothing or very little compared to what it was. And they don't expect the U.S. to sign the Every Woman Treaty either. And they're still uh, five or six years away on getting this. But it, it's an idea of working kind of around, you know, how the U.S. Um, 
doesn't participate in this sort of stuff. But I was wondering if you had any um, opinion on, on this sort of a, a tact. Yeah, well, the, the main thing I would say is in our new website design, um, we are going to have detailed information on all the treaties we're supporting. So please send me whatever you can about that treaty. I'm more familiar with CEDAW, the one that I mentioned before, the Convention for the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women. That's one that we have, um, we have supported in spirit, but haven't held campaigns for, which we intend to start doing. So send me the information about yours as well, and, um, and, we can and I'd be happy to talk further. Is your email address posted? Uh, yeah, well, it, it, it's outreach at globalsolutions.org. Uh, so anything there will get to me if it's addressed to me. Yeah, outreach at globalsolutions.org. And if anyone forgets, it's on the website. Perfect. And thank you for the work you're doing. That's great. Well, first of all, I really want to thank you and for the excellent uh, questions as well. Uh, I, I do think uh, uh, that uh, it's very important that you bring in young people. I don't think they'll really buy the idea of a, of a union of democracy proposed by the U.S. when we see even in the U.S. it hasn't endorsed any of these treaties, which the overwhelming majority of Americans want. So what kind of democracy are we to preach to others? Oh, you've got to be a democracy to be in our, in our World Federation. Uh, but I do think that what you said is key, that we're what we look, when we look out at all the horrors in the world, we're in the process of the breakdown of empire. I do think it's extremely important for people to vote just to postpone the chance that we may, uh, you know, push, push, get an unstable president that could get us, you know, maybe not have the plan to continue where we can continue to build all these wonderful things we envision for the future. Uh, but I do think there's also a big upside that there's, a, as you said, a breakdown of empire, a breakdown of patriarchy, and that uh, uh, as we come out of that, <clears throat> that breakdown, there's an increased likelihood that we can build this kind of more interactive, ground up, bottom up uh, democracy integrated in with the people who are forward thinking in a, at a global level and in, the, and in the global structures that have been built so far, and bring, beginning to put together uh, that people powered planet. Uh, I do wanna close with the good news that uh, our film, uh, The World Is My Country, uh, is uh, it's confirmed that they're going to be sending it out to the PBS network, all of the public television stations in the country on on uh, the Universal Declaration of uh, the anniversary of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights are going to have an opportunity to to run the program. But each station manager makes the decision whether to show it in their market. So we're going to really need to build a network of reaching out to a lot of these other global or and other organizations in the whole Peace and Justice Network and everything to say. Yes, ask your station manager or run it in your area. And we're going to need, uh, we're especially reach out to Rotary, Michael and others, uh, uh, to find that uh, uh, PBS gives us one minute to allocate to underwriters. Uh, they can be 10 seconds, 15 seconds, somebody could buy the whole minute. But this is people who will put in money that will help us promote and get all the station managers aboard. We, they have they have station manager consultants we can hire. They have lots of ways we can reach out. Uh, we need key funding for that. And this minute is to help pay for that. And so if we can get one big company that uh, uh, you know, cares about these issues uh, that would, would, would sponsor that minute, great. Or we can get 10 seconds, five, you know, short clips from different underwriters. So hopefully Rotary will help with that. 
Uh, so we are really, uh, if you have any ideas of people who might be interested in being getting their name out on PBS, you always hear it, you know, the following program is brought to you by the da-da-da-da-da. Uh, well, you, you can be the da-da-da. So, <laughs> so join us with that. Uh, again, I want to thank all of you. I want to thank uh, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Thank, thank you all. And if you go to the um, Passport page on our website, on theworldismycountry.com, you'll see we now have a link to a way that people can actually apply for this World Passport online. You don't have to do the old cumbersome way of mailing in your, your fingerprint and your picture and everything. You can actually put in your application right online. And there's a little uh, description about that. You'll get the portal to get there. So thank you everyone for joining us. We hope you'll join us next week. Uh, we do have um, uh, more exciting speakers coming up. Uh, we have uh, Jonathan Granoff, who is a, a key, um, uh, he, he works with Nobel Prize winners at the, at the United Nations. He's a, he's a key person in putting together a lot of these global structures. He's been involved in, in this kind of an approach. Uh, he's a fascinating speaker. We're out of time to tell you more now, but go to theworldismycountry.com and, and you'll see his little bio. Uh, he's a, he's the, he's a, a, a no, nominated for a Nobel Prize. So uh, go ahead and uh, uh, join us every week. Uh, Wednesday at 10 o'clock Pacific, 1 o'clock Eastern for the People Powered Planet podcast. World citizen, lift up your voices. Oh, you know we got something to say. All we need is the same directions, heading in one way. One way.